Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up today on the show, Jeff Simmons of Real Hawk Talk joins me, and we're going to talk about how the Seahawks team looks at the midway point. Nine games into a 17-game schedule, how does he feel about this roster and this team as it looks ahead to a gauntlet of games against the NFC's best coming up in a couple of weeks? And we can't do that without talking about the quarterback. He'll give me his thoughts on Geno Smith and put his general manager's hat on. If he were John Schneider, how would he handle the quarterback situation moving forward into the offseason and next season? Jeff Simmons of Real Hawk Talk coming up on the show next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whichever audio platform you're listening on so that you always get notification of new episodes. And if you listen on Spotify and you want to get rid of the ads, you can you can subscribe to the show for just 99 cents a month. That link will be in the show description. Um, and if you like video versions, you can, uh, of course, go to the Seahawks Forever YouTube page and would love for you to subscribe and join the community there as we are approaching 3,400 subscriptions over there. Appreciate your support. And if you really like what I do, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. I'll put that link in the description as well. Let's get to our conversation with Jeff Simmons. You're going to want to stick around till the end of this one because I ask him flat out, those four games the Seahawks coming, coming up, they play the Rams at SoFi this week, but then after that, two games against the 49ers, and then they play the Cowboys and the Eagles in that same four-game four stretch inarguably the four best teams in the NFC right now. I asked Jeff flat out, how many games out of those four do you think this team wins as they're currently constructed and currently playing? So stick around for that. Here's my conversation with Jeff Simmons of Real Hawk Talk. All right, as promised, Jeff Simmons of Real Hawk Talk joining the show. Jeff, thanks for being here. How do you feel about this team at the, I guess the closest thing we have now to a midway point after what you saw yesterday uh, against the Commanders? Yeah, they're pretty similar to where I would have thought going into the year. I Coming into the season, I had them as like a second-tier NFC team. They were the clear top tier, and they're more – I don't think they're quite there yet. They're more – I really like what they've been doing in the draft the last two years. They're an ascending team. They have a really good group of young players that they've really turned around. It looked pretty bleak a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so the group of young players that's the core of this team – Mostly doing pretty good. You really like a lot of what you see there, and you've seen some good things. They they could arguably be like seven and two at this point, but they still seem a tad 
below the top tier teams. They're still in that second tier. I still think there's a lot of promising things going on, but if you look at some of those top teams, like when you see San Francisco rolling or Philly, or even when you watch Baltimore play for the most part, or Kansas city, I don't see them as quite there yet, but for the most part, it's been a bit of an up and down first half, but there's a lot to like. I still don't think they're quite at that championship contender level that maybe some are hoping for. It's interesting. I, I, I've talked a lot about it on this show. I think, I think most fans would agree that the roster as a whole, exactly what you're talking about, that, that across the board just seems to be a really nice collection of young talent to the point that when you start to look ahead to future years, you, there aren't as many of those black holes on the roster as maybe we've seen the last few years. But the question has come up recently as probably because of what you talk about, how close they, it appears that they are to maybe making that jump to the next level that do they have enough blue chip talents? Do they have enough of those stars that some of those other teams that you just mentioned do? Where do you think they, they fit there? It's, it's a deficiency for them. They, the way I, I talked to a couple of pro scouts before the year and they were telling me from like 10 to 40 of like a roster, Seattle might be the best in the league. Like they have good players just throughout their depth is really good. Like I saw someone even write today, they almost have too much weapons. They don't know what to do with them, but like they have a lot of good players, but in terms of like the elite elite guys, they don't have those guys. And you look at like Philadelphia and what they have up front on the Mm -hmm. offensive line and San Francisco, it's like basically an all-star team. They have like seven guys who are the arguably the best of their position. If you look at Seattle, again, they have a lot of good players. They don't have a lot of holes on their roster, but like all pro, you're talking when Seattle went to the Super Bowls, they had six or seven all pro kind of guys on defense. And that's not even including Marshawn and Russell and Doug and some of the other guys they had. But like looking at their team, like they have a lot of good players, but the all pro blue chip guys, I think Witherspoon showing he he looks like that already. He's a lot further along than I would have guessed. He looks like He's got best in the league potential that spot. Yeah. Uh, like, and then they have a lot of very good, like DK and Tariq and Rick Woolen. Like they have the athletic traits, but they're not quite there as players. Uh, the running backs have a lot of upside, but I don't see a lot of those Trent Williams, Bosa, like boy, he's had a great year, but I don't think he's in that category. And yeah, that's probably the one thing holding this team back from being going from good to great. It, it's interesting. It's an interesting perspective because right before you said his name, I'm thinking about Boye Mafe because he's, mm-hmm. he kind of uh, exemplifies what you're talking about. He's had seven straight games of the sack. Only two other players in NFL history have done that. Um, you know, he makes a lot of splash plays throughout the game, but then there's, there's parts of the game where you don't, really notice him or his name's not getting called. He's not dominating. He's not commanding double teams. He's not, he's not, you know, causing problems for the defensive or the offensive coordinators as they get ready for the week. What do you think? Yeah. How far away do you think they are from that? Are we, I I guess this is the question I'm getting to coming into the season. A lot of us agreed that as, as, as much as they exceeded expectations last year, particularly the performance of Gino. Nobody expected that. And that allowed him to win nine games, get into the playoffs. Maybe they were ahead of schedule. Maybe the expectations after another exciting draft going into this year were a little bit too high. And that maybe we're sitting in year two of a three-year process and, and we're one more off season away. How do you feel about that? 
that's exactly what my read was going into the year. And I think because of how they did make the playoffs last year and they had another good draft that got a lot of national praise. I think expectations, just like when I talk to fans or when I get texts from like people even in my like on my show, and it feels like the expectations are a little out of whack still for me. And going into the year, that's exactly how I felt. I felt a lot. It was a lot like 2012 where the Seahawks, you can see, were getting good, but they were like a couple pass rushers away or like they were one couple position groups away. And they, they that team was obviously better than this team now. But that's sort of how that felt to me right now. I still think they're a year away. And I think they need to make some considerable upgrades or get some better players, which is going to be tricky. But they're 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 very good but they're not they don't have maybe the roster of those great teams and they're still trying to figure out who they are there's like identity issues on offense they're still trying to figure out how to best utilize their players and you see a lot of flashes but like boy is a great one boy is a guy that surpassed any expectation i had of him uh the thing coming out from school with him was that he had a, a flashy traits and he didn't really have the instincts and yeah. typically pass rushers that go in the second round there's like they have a huge deficiency it's like quarterbacks like if there's an edge rusher and they're an elite talent they always go in the first round they almost all come from the first round like every so often you'll get a max crosby but if you look at like bosa garrett all the guys who are the best in the league those guys are as hard to get as quarterbacks and so you look at boy who looked last year he looked exactly like what a second round pass rusher looks like he has some traits but the game moved too quickly for him and then this year, so my expectations were him this year was just to be a rotational edge rusher. I thought Taylor and Nuosu and the, his instincts and his play speed and how quickly he's getting off the ball, the work that they've done with him, the, the new pass rush coach, it's the, the jump he's made has been significant. He's played at like a Pro Bowl level player. And yeah, he's not that dominant guy yet, but like the step he's taken just from where he was last year until even where I thought he was. That was a player I was very wrong about and happy to be wrong about. He's been really, really good. Staying on that side of the ball for now, what what impact have you seen so far uh, two weeks in um, with the acquisition of Leonard Williams? What has he added to that front? So he's not, he's an interesting player because he's not like a guy like he's not going to be Aaron Donald and like flash off the screen or some of the things we've seen for like Michael Bennett. But he's like a really good technical player like if you watch boy off a sack yesterday it was all created by leonard williams he takes on a double team he throws the right tackle out on a stunt and it opens a complete hole for Moffat to run through seahawks just don't have a lot of guys on their team who can do that and williams himself got a sack and then on the draymond jones sack it's the same thing he takes yeah. off a double team which lets bobby blitz so he hasn't like flashed a ton in the run game and they've had trouble in the run game since he's got here but I think he's he's just like a really stout, technically sound player that I think he's going to get better every week. And one of the things I Sean O'Hara was on seven ten a couple of weeks ago, the old Giants offensive line. Yeah. He knows Leonard really well from just covering the Giants, and that was exactly what he talked about. He said this guy is going to do a lot of things that you're going to have to watch the tape, see, but he's going to open up a lot of opportunities for other players. And you saw it with Mafe yesterday, and he's he hasn't flashed like crazy Williams. I think he's been pretty good to solid, but. I think the more you watch this guy, the closer you look, he's, he's really making an impact. Do you think that combination of the fact that he's not a, not the flashiest player, he doesn't dominate the stat sheet, but also he's about to turn 30 years old might uh, keep his market down a little bit going into his free agent year because, because I've, I felt like from the moment they made this deal, especially 
given that it included a second round pick that, and then Carol's comments immediately after the move that they made this move intending to do everything they can to keep him long-term. Yeah. It's, it's tricky because the guys who get paid are typically the pass rushers mm-hmm. and age is a big factor. Like you saw how much money Draymond Jones got and Draymond Jones is like the perfect player of what happens when a second tier player hits free agency and they get paid like a first tier player. Yeah. And with Williams, he's going to have a lot of leverage going into free agency. The team traded a lot to get him. Uh, he's been franchised multiple times, so he can't franchise tag him. So Seattle's hoping they can keep that cost down. But you're right, his age and the fact that he doesn't get a lot of like counting stats and sacks, it might be able to get him back. But I, I'm with you. I think they're going to try to sign him. John Schneider talked about on uh, that they've been trying to get him for multiple years. Yeah. And I don't, I don't believe they view this as a rental. I think they want to see how he plays and how he fits in. But I think it's every intention to sign him. And not, hopefully they're not another repeat of the Sheldon Richardson situation. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you mentioned him already, but is Devin Witherspoon the best thing you've seen out of this first half of the season? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, I really liked Witherspoon when I was studying the draft. Uh, I didn't think Seattle would take him. I didn't think he'd be on the radar. And... When you watched him on film, I remember texting one of one of the guys on my show, and I said the most fun player in this draft is Devin Witherspoon. Like he plays with so much like energy, and he his highlights and he flashes, and it's just like he's on a team like Illinois. I don't know how many people are watching Illinois college football. Yeah. I certainly wasn't, but you figure okay, it's going to take a guy a couple of years. Cornerback such a like, transition period, and what, what else, at the time I remember they drafted him. Pete Carroll talked about like how he had Troy Polamalu type instincts. And I sort of rolled my eyes. I'm like, all right, right. sure. Like this guy's like the best safety I've seen in 20 years other than Ed Reed. Like sure. <laughs> he looks like Troy Polamalu. Yeah. And like at, at the time I rolled my eyes and I'm, he looks like the way he, his instincts and how advanced he is and like the energy he plays with, how quick he's just, and he didn't have a training camp really. That's the thing that's blew me away. I'm figured like the first game he plays, he gives up that big touchdown and the flea flicker. I'm like, okay, this is how the first year is going to go. You're yeah. going to see some nice stuff. Right. But the fact that he's just hit the ground running. And since then, I think he's the highest rated corner in the NFL on pro football focus since week two. And he's one of the, he looked like, if you remember Earl Thomas, who's one of the best players we've seen on this team. One of my favorite players I've seen. He had a really rough first year. He was giving up big plays. It got to the point where they were almost benching him. And Earl is one of the smartest, highest instincts. The fact that this guy looks like like a Charles Woodson in the first year yeah. has been pretty unbelievable to watch. And like Terry McLaurin had like 38 yards yesterday. Yeah, he was almost invisible. Uh, and and they have other weapons there too. I, it's the the thing that stands out to me is is just his um, kind of just the way he carries himself and his demeanor. And you you see him when you when you catch shots between plays that the network gets. And he's, you know, he's in the huddle. He's being demonstrative. He's pointing guys out. He's directing guys. He's baiting receivers now. You don't see that a lot from young guys. Um, it's it's pretty remarkable. And so much so that last year we thought we had stumbled on to a pot of gold in the fifth round with Reek Woolen. And how quickly, you know, he's been relegated to the second best corner on the roster and a guy that some people have been critical of because he hasn't played as well as he did last year. Um, it's It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it, it makes you jealous. Now, we just didn't get to see that for 12, 14 years. A little jealous of those teams that regularly get to draft at the top because you don't get shots at those. <laughs> you don't get shots at those players very often. That's for sure. Uh, let's talk yeah. about let's talk about offense. When I almost jumped to this when you talked about expectations, because uh, nowhere is that more clear 
than with Geno Smith. You know, last year, nobody expected anything out of him. In fact, some people expected Drew Locke to beat him out in training camp after the trade was made. And then he exceeds expectations. He gets named to the Pro Bowl. He signs the contract. And now he's the man and he's coming in this season and so much was expected of him, not in any small part to the fact that they went and added to that group and they drafted JSN in the first round and add another dynamic running back to that room. So, and you know, another year for those tackles and we've upgraded the interior offensive line. No excuses, right? Here we go. And he gets off to a good start over the first three, four weeks. And then, and then he has a rough stretch yesterday, kind of embodied all of that. All it was a microcosm of his season and maybe his career, right? People were calling for him to be benched at halftime. Benched Gino started trending on Twitter. Then he comes out and has the second half. They win the game. He has his highest career yardage total of his career. Where do you stand on Gino Smith after yesterday? <laughs> you summed it up well. Uh, I thought I'm not like I don't have like a strong like hot take like he needs to be benched or I think I know from the last year and a half now what Gino is and where his limitations are. But the inconsistency is definitely hard. It's been hard to watch when they keep getting into these ruts where in the middle of the game, like they just can't run the offense for quarters at a time. And it's it's very hard to watch. So I understand where the frustration comes from. I'm not don't after the first half yesterday it was the first time, like in my mind, I said, like, they could go to Drew Lock here. And I, I was very against the Geno benching. Not because I, I think a lot of the issues with Geno have been what's around him, but He's definitely a little less consistent than he was last year. To me, it's, he's the kind of quarterback where things need to be working around him for him. Like the offensive line played a lot better yesterday. Uh, Washington traded away their two edge rushers, so they don't have much of an edge pass rush. Yeah. Uh, Peters and Cross did a really good job. And then he got a little more comfortable in the second half. But in the first half, there was just like errant throws, and he was missing. And some of that had to do with receivers. But he just seems like tentative. And it's been an odd year. For me, like big picture, like – I, I don't believe he's like a disaster or needs to be benched. Some people think he's horrible. I think when things are working around him, he can run a pretty good offense. He can be competent, a lot like Jared Goff has been. But when things aren't working around him, I don't think Geno's the player that's going to elevate this offense. I don't think he's mobile enough. I think he's relying on protection. And I just think he's a rhythm quarterback. And that's not a bad thing. Like To be like the 12th to 15th best quarterback in the NFL – considering what they're paying him, considering where they got him, I think they're fine. I don't know if you can win a Super Bowl with them. I think, like, big picture, they're probably in a similar spot to, like, where the Chiefs were with Alex Smith. Mm. I think Alex Smith is a very similar quarterback. Like, he can win you games, but can he beat, uh, at the time, it was New England in the playoffs, or could he beat Pittsburgh at the time? And, and then they traded up for Patrick Mahomes, and their whole franchise has changed. I think that's where sort of I am with Geno. He's, he can, you can win games with him, but I don't know if you can win a Super Bowl with him. Uh, just yeah, the inconsistency has been hard this year. He's been up and down, and you saw it so much yesterday. The first half to the second half, just when things are working for Gino and he's in rhythm, like he 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 may make throws that other people can't. Like he's got like some elite qualities. It's yeah. just we need to see time. And then the thing with the expectations too is you bring in a first round receiver, Smith and Jigba, who you just thought would unlock him yeah. the way. Yeah. That he complimented the other two. They have the two running backs. He thought the tackles would move forward. And the offensive line has not, it's been a mess this year because they've had guys in and out. And they, they, I don't think their interior line is good enough to begin with. And you see it impact Gino and he kind of spirals a little bit. And the, the thing I think is good for, is they have this stretch coming up, which obviously hurts their potential this year in terms of wins and losses. 
but you're going to know everything as a franchise. You're going to know everything you need to know about Gino, hmm. how he plays against San Francisco, how he plays against Philly and Dallas. That's a big part of evaluating what you do next with this guy. So I, I think you got to keep playing. I mean, even when he struggles, because I think everything is a data point that's important for them because after the year, they have a huge decision to make. You now with this contract, how they're going to draft a guy. You could, you could bring both of them back. Um, I think you need to know what his ceiling is and, if he just comes out and struggles against San Francisco and you have the the rest of the roster that's growing at a pretty fast speed, that gives you everything you need to know. It's an interesting way to look at it for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think the hesitation part is, is the baffling thing to me. It's, and I mentioned on my show last night that, that I think the thing that is, is becoming the storyline with Geno Smith isn't interceptions or turnovers. You know, he cleaned that up yesterday uh, or even the big, the decision-making part of it you know, the intentional grounding at the end of the first half, it's the plays he's not making. And it's, it's just four straight weeks now where we've seen multiple, several plays that look like wide open touchdowns to us. And even sometimes on the all 22, where it's just baffling. I mean, the Cincinnati game was, was the best example of that, where it's like, why, how do you not throw that ball? You could punt the ball and it's a touchdown. It's, (laughs) it's, and it it looked like on the TV copy yesterday that there might've been some of those plays. I haven't had a chance to watch the rest of it. And that's, I wonder if that plays into, the pressure he feels, you know, that he, he doesn't want to make a mistake. And, and so it has to be perfect for him. But then you see him in rhythm, like he did in the second half yesterday and he gets going and, and the, the pressure's off a little bit because they're down a score and they, and they run tempo a little bit. And the little throw where he feathered it over the linebacker to, to Tyler on that one play uh, where it looked live, it just looked like a, you know, a nice throw pitch and catch to a wide open receiver. But then they, you know, Sanchez talked about it a lot. You see the, the angle from behind Gino and how difficult that was. And he had to get it over the linebacker. That seemed like a throw that that's coming from a guy who who's playing with no fear again, and who's totally confident in his ability. Um, but I, I'm kind of with you. Like I, I had expectations going into the season that even after being in the league, as long as he had that, okay, now he's had a year as a starter. You've added to that offense. Let's see him take a step forward. I don't think we're seeing that. And it feels like he's a bridge quarterback leading to what you're talking about. If you're the GM of this team, are you looking ahead to the quarterback draft next year? Are you drafting a guy next year finally as John Schneider, first and foremost? For me, absolutely. Um, Even if you want to bring Geno back, he turns 34 next year. Mm. Um, Another thing is if you look at the team, they don't have a lot of like long-term positional needs, but I think they're at the point where they still need, they, they haven't really drafted a quarterback since Russell. There was Alex Magoo was one right. of the, like, the, yeah. the only guy they've drafted and every year. John Schneider is like, well, we want to draft the quarterback, but it didn't fall to us. We want to draft one every year. <laughs> they never do. Yeah. And like, look, you look at Sam Howell yesterday, like he went in the fifth round two years ago. And that was the year everyone was screaming. They should take Malik Willis or they mm-hmm. should take Desmond Ritter. And it's a good thing. They passed on those two guys. Those guys don't look like players at all, but at least if you had Howell as like, a, even if I don't know if he's the Super Bowl ceiling quarterback, but to have like a young quarterback in the building, you can develop. I think they missed out by not doing that. And it becomes an asset you can use in other things. But I think they're at the point where they do need to draft the quarterback. The tricky thing is, if you've watched the NFL this year, there's probably like 14 teams that are thinking the same thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Score. And, I saw touchdowns, uh, lowest, lowest number of touchdowns through nine weeks in seven years in the league. Yesterday was the first day where it felt more like normal, where you saw like a lot of offensive explosions, high scoring games. There wasn't as many, like if you watch the game in Germany yesterday, that felt a lot similar to what I've watched all year. 
where it's Mac Jones against uh, Minshew. And you just yeah. see how limited those guys are. Right. But the Colts aren't drafting. But the, the tricky thing for Seattle is they're probably going to be drafting in the 20s. And you know, I can make a list for you of all the teams that want quarterbacks. So John's done a really good job in the past finding maybe not like the Caleb Williams or the Drake May. You're going to have to give up three years of first-round picks to get near those guys. But this draft is deep at quarterback. There's a lot of interesting players. Mm-hmm. And like Russell Wilson, when he was drafted, was the sixth quarterback to go. And when they were at the similar spot with Tavares Jackson and Matt Flynn. And so I do think the Seahawks should draft the quarterback, even if you want to bring back Geno Smith. I think you need more options. I think you need higher upside in the future. And I think this is the year. I think John really wanted to draft the quarterback last year. I think like maybe I don't think they would have taken any of those first round guys, but if you watch CJ Stroud play, I wonder if they're wondering like, maybe we should have traded up from five, yeah. but Man. God, he looked good yesterday. Like yeah. I, I knew he was like playing well. I didn't know he was playing that well. I watched that whole game yesterday. No. Um, but yeah, I think if you're looking at this organization and how they go from good to great, you got to keep rolling the dice on quarterbacks and hope you hit on one. It does, you know, to kind of tie up everything we've talked about with this roster, it does feel like the missing piece. Like, like if you put a dynamic young quarterback on this roster, maybe not immediately, maybe not in 24, but by 25, I mean, you're talking about a team that can really contend then that, that that's the one thing holding him back. Even, I, I think even the most staunch Geno Smith supporters would have to agree with that, that there's a, there's a ceiling and that, you know, every year that we go, that goes by that we get closer towards that, the roster realizing that potential, he gets a year older. So um, yeah, I'm with you. It was the one thing that kind of made me cringe the day they traded for Leonard Williams, just because I'm with you. And and I think this is, this is the type of quarterback depth we haven't seen in a long time in the draft where, where if you miss out on a first round guy, you can still get a guy on day two, but not having that second round pick kind of takes that second tier away. And some of those guys, yeah, that may fall um, and uh, as well as just, you know, one less bullet in the chamber if you're looking to trade up. So uh, let me, let me finish this way. As you look ahead to that four game stretch, right? 49ers twice, Cowboys, Eagles, and the, and the Cowboys now, you know, they always kind of start strong. They get a lot of hype and then they seem to fade. They seem to be getting better. Dax seems to be playing it at a really high level. So they're scarier to me now than they were maybe a few weeks ago. You look at that stretch. You already talked about what it might mean to Geno Smith, but but as this team is constructed now and as they're playing now, if you had to wager, how many of those four games do they win? Right now, I think one, and <laughs> it might be hard to win one. Um, it's just the, when you look at these teams, they're all so good up front, and what Philly can do with those defensive linemen, what San Francisco can do now that they got Chase Young, and what Dallas's defense does with Dan Quinn. Seattle's offensive line is there. They've been pretty media. They've been mediocre at best this year, and they're going up against those guys. And all those teams have really when Trent Williams plays, and when Dallas is going, and Philly's going, Detroit's going. Those offensive lines are all really, really good. Hmm. And until we we saw what Baltimore did to their offensive line. Last week, I don't think it will be that bad again because right. they did. They were okay against Miles Garrett the week before, but for me, you see what Geno is, and Geno needs good protection to excel. And if the offensive line can't block those guys, and then you know, got like Geno back there, I think it's going to be hard for them to win. It's unfortunate that they haven't been able to really get the running game going because I think that really would be a good way to play these guys. So, 
I think they're still a little deficient up front, and this is the best test for them coming up against all these guys. We see how they've blocked the Rams in the past. It's been a disaster basically every yeah. time they play Aaron Donald. So I think these are huge games for the offensive line, and until I see that they can hold up against someone other than Cleveland, who they did a really good job against, um, if they can go up against these teams and hold up against these fronts, they got a chance to win more than one. But right now, watching San Francisco hit on all cylinders yesterday, watching yeah. Dallas, I just think a thing with Seattle is they still don't quite know who they are on offense. It seems like they're it's like a random series of plays every week, and they go up and down. And like you watch Detroit play, like they they dominate that offensive line. They get the ball to St. Brown. They're very clear who they are. They're very Seattle. Like you saw at the end last week, they finally got Metcalf going, but. Until I see like a consistent identity, a consistent plan, some of that comes down to Waldron, some of that comes down to Gino. I think it's going to be really hard to play these elite teams if you can't function at a high level. And until we see that, it's hard for me to think that they're going to win as much as I do like what they're doing roster-wise. Is Shane Waldron a good offensive coordinator? I mean, we're in year three now. We we thought we were seeing some development in him finding himself last year, but the, the it's it's pretty easy to be critical of him week in, week out in some of his decisions. And I think you nailed it that we just don't know what we're seeing. And we've seen Pete move on from guys after three years. That seems to be kind of the magic marker. Uh, is it, is he good? I don't think so. I think he's, I think he has some good skills. I think Josh Norris and Colt McCoy did a video a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. on some of the things he's doing. Yeah. And they, and they, they like the design. designs. Yeah. It was a really good video because I, I can't see the stuff watching the All-22. Right. And that's where I rely on guys like that. But he might – there's two different skills of being a corner. You can be a really good designer, but you might not be a really good play caller. Those are two mm-hmm. different skills that we have to understand. Play calling is a lot about sequencing. It's a lot about knowing who you are. And he might be a really good play designer and be really smart on the board and really good at designing things open. The stuff they did with tight ends early in the year was really, really good. And some of the way they've used their personnel to open up other things. I think he's really good at that. I think he's a really smart football guy. But I don't see enough consistency in the play calling and how everything sets up and who every week it just it doesn't seem like it's coherent. And like there's been games this year where there's no routes to the middle of the field or there's they're calling long developing plays and games yeah. you should be developing quick. And you saw yesterday in the second half when they started running the quick stuff, the yards after catch were coming and you started to see like a semblance of a consistent offense that hit but like you watch the Rams play and I think if you gave the Rams this kind of personnel with the receivers we have and the running mm. backs we have and they run in that wide zone stuff, I think they would have a top five offense. Yeah. And you watch Seattle who should be close to a top five offense and I think some of that's obviously on Gino, but I think a lot of it comes down to they haven't designed, like, we don't know what, like, we figure when you're getting in the Rams guy, you're getting that Rams scheme, but this doesn't look like the Rams. They're not running the yeah. wide zone stuff, the half mid zone stuff, uh, dominating the middle of the field, which I thought Smith and Jigba would be like Cooper Cup. And he's getting a lot better, Smith and Jigba, but he, I think if you put him on a different team, he'd be, his numbers would be a lot higher. So I still am at the point where I would call Shane Waldron a good offensive coordinator because I don't see, consistency in game plans and consistency in what they're trying to do. Well, as you've said about a a number of things, we're certainly going to find out more about that over the next five weeks. Um, That's for certain. Uh, Jeff Simmons of Real Hawk Talk. You can find him on Twitter at Real Jeff Simmons. And uh, of course, with Brian and those guys over on Real Hawk Talk. What do you guys have coming up on the show this week? Uh, We have a lot to talk about. Everyone's got an opinion on Gino. Uh, That game, (laughs) there's so many things to take away but it's mostly talking about 
this stretch of games coming up, what we see, I know so, we were getting so many texts from those guys yesterday, just that they already turned the game off at halftime. Yeah. I have to like calm them down and push them off to like calm them down. They're like, I can't watch this team. It's a chore. I'm like, yeah, you don't even know how bad this could be. So it's just, everyone's trying to make sense of what happened yesterday. And it was such an odd game where you, you this, the extremes were so high. You saw the worst of them and the best of them just trying to make sense of everything that's going on. It's, it hasn't been easy. So it's getting ready for this stretch. They got coming up in the next month. They got a lot of Thursday games coming up. They, they got a lot of big games coming up. So we're going to learn everything we need to know about this team in the next month. That's the good thing, but well, we're hoping it's a little more fun to watch than that Baltimore game. Well, I'm sure this is fun for the viewers to watch. Uh, I've been trying uh, been talking about getting you on the show for a while. Thanks for taking the time and uh, glad you could buy, finally be here. Let's do this again sometime. Yeah, man. It was a pleasure. Anytime. All right, Jeff. Talk to you soon. All right. Been wanting to have Jeff on the show for a while. Glad I was able to finally corral him and get him on. Uh, always love his insight. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever and uh, subscribe to the show so you get notification of new episodes, including one coming up in a couple of days with Michael Thompson of 12th Man Rising. We're going to look ahead for the first time this year. I'm going to call it a mid-season mock because I love me some alliteration. Michael's going to put together a mock draft for me because he is much farther ahead as far as evaluating 2024 draft prospects. And I specifically asked him, take a quarterback. For God's sake, finally, John Schneider, take a quarterback because I want to see how it looks. Who's available? Who does he have them taking? Why does he think they're the right guy? And then how does that affect the rest of the draft as far as the team trying to add more young talent and fill some other holes? So look for that coming up in a couple of days. And then later this week, Jake Ellenbogen, uh, from the Rams side of things, have him back on for the first time since before the opener. How does he feel about this Rams team now and this matchup coming up at Soha, SoFi later this week? Until then, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Forever and always, go Hawks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>